So we're here in chapter one of the Gospel of John. And uh, as I said at the very beginning, um, one of my favorite Gospels, we're going to do a little bit of review here. And uh, we might review some things we've done before. We've had three classes of just background, uh, which I think is actually really cool. So you know what's going on. Now you're going to, as you read through John, you're going to recognize those themes. You're going to see the language of light and darkness and notice how many times he talks about love and everything's about love and and see how he defines what a disciple is and 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 notice the seven I am statements and the seven signs of that that start right from the very beginning. Um, you're going to see all this and you'll understand why and what's being communicated here and the importance of it. You know, always whenever you whenever you sit down to read scripture to to try to understand you always have to ask yourself, what is God trying to communicate with me? What is he telling me in this? And and take note of what jumps out at you. And I'll tell you what, you can read something 20 times and you're going to have 20 different things. Most of the time, 20 different things are going to stand out, are, are going to be are, are going to be highlighted in your heart. And that'll be because your life's different, you're different, you're growing, life's changing. And even though the scriptures don't change, how they impact you will change. And that's why even though, you know, I could I've read John probably a hundred times, I can still be impacted and I'm still moved and I still get excited about it because I'm still learning. Literally, I'm still learning new things all the time. Even preparing for this class, I've been reviewing my notes and going back and reading through John and I'm finding new things. So it's it's very, very exciting. And what you see on this on the screen is uh, the Greek of John? That's of course John was written in Koine Greek, uh, which was uh, which means common Greek. Uh, it's the Greek. It's the Greek of the of the, the the lingua franca, the common language that everybody spoke, which is the language that the New Testament was recorded in. Uh, there are some uh, beliefs that you know Matthew may have been recorded in Aramaic or uh, or even in Hebrew. Some would say, um, but uh, but this is written in Koine Greek, and the top says Katahioannis, which is according to John. Okay, this is the, the good news according to John, or gospel. That's what gospel means, is good news. So good news according to John. And of course, uh, if you remember, it starts out en arche, en hologos, right? And in, in right from the very beginning, in the beginning, in the 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 logos, right? In the beginning, the logos. Um, so the whole chapter is a chiasm. I, I shared about that and how that's that's a it's it's a form of literature where you you follow a pattern. And what what happens is is we don't necessarily notice these patterns when we're reading, but it helps us to understand. It helps us to understand what's happening. Uh, just like you know when there's things in three like three blind men situation, three bread situations, three healings, three this, three that, your your brain captures it. Your brain records it because three is a pattern that your brain is picking up, even though you may not be picking it up consciously. Um, but uh, in chapter one, of course, you've got the identity, verses one through five, the identity and mission of the word, six through eight, the testimony of John the Baptist to the word, and then 9 through 10, the incarnation of the word. And then verse 10, which is kind of the center of it, the response to the word. 
And then it starts backing out again. Verse 14, the incarnation of the word again. Verse 15, the testimony of John the Baptist to the word again. And then verse 16 and 18, the identity and mission of the word again. So it, it's like step, 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 step. And, and it helps you actually to remember and to understand what's going on. Um, and we talked about how in the very beginning, they both, the, the gospel of John starts as the book of Genesis done, does, at least in the Septuagint. Now, traditionally, well, originally the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, what Jews would call the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, or they just call it the Bible, um, uh, was written in Hebrew, uh, but there was a translation to Greek, and that's called the Septuagint. And the tradition goes, 70 uh, rabbis gathered together and translated it into Greek, the common language of the day, so that everybody could read it. Hebrew became a lost language. And in a derivative of Hebrew is what everybody was speaking, Aramaic, which was what was being spoken in the time of Jesus, which would be kind of like, think of Spanish and Latin. Spanish came from Latin. It isn't the same, though. A Spanish speaker doesn't necessarily understand somebody speaking Latin. But there'll be many common words and many roots. Most, you know, most of the roots all come from Latin, if not all, almost all of them. Um, so there's a lot of overlap, but it's a different language. And so Hebrew was lost, and it was really spoken only by Bible scholars and spoken in synagogue, and, and the Bible was kept in Hebrew. But the, 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 the language of the land of Palestine was Aramaic. Now, the language of, the, of that part of the world, the, the known world, was Greek, even though it became a Roman world, but it had already been settled, conquered, and thoroughly saturated in Greek culture by, remember the guy Alexander the Great, he conquered the known world, the Mediterranean world, and their philosophy was make the world Greek. So everybody spoke Greek, so the Bible was written in Greek so that everybody could understand it. And that's that. even that is a pretty cool principle, you know, that the Bible be recorded, the, the letter of God, the, 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 the message of God be in a language that you and I can understand. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to go to school for 30 years to, to be able to understand, understand what God wrote. Now, the sad thing is as time went by, even Greek and Latin became lost languages and of course, for, for centuries, people couldn't read their Bibles. And it wasn't until, and really until the 16th century AD, the time of Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation, that people started printing Bibles in the common languages, uh, English and German and, and languages that the common man spoke. And, um, and then you get an explosion of Bible translations. Um, but there's lots of secrets, lots of gems by going back and looking at the original language. We know John 1, Genesis 1, they start the same, and that's on purpose. So when the people would hear in Arche and Hologos, they would recall Genesis 1. And Arche epoyesen hotheos, you know, that they would, they would remember, oh, in the beginning, it starts exactly the same. And of course, the word logos, which... Uh, most people are probably taught logos in in their schools. In uh, where I was, where I learned Greek, uh, the, my professor was adamant that it's that's probably logos, not logos, which is the common way to say it. 
Um, and that's more because there's a disagreement about how it's pronounced. Well, why? Well, we there's nobody around today from back then. I mean, you'd have to be two thousand years old. And so all we can do is is make an educated guess of how it was pronounced. Greeks today would say logos, uh, not lagos. Uh, so I go with logos. Um, Jews uh, have one understanding of it. I, I just briefly, I didn't go into it the last class. I'll say a little bit more that, uh, for you know, you have to think about that the Holy Spirit or, or John is trying to explain a concept to two very different cultures, the Greek culture, the Jewish culture, and explain it in a way that's going to be universal, that will be understood ultimately in every culture. So, but he grabs a hold of, of several ideas um, and he uses the word logos, okay, because it had a very strong meaning to the Jews and to the Greeks and a meaning that we would all be able to understand. Um, for, the, for the Jews, it was, uh, first of all, you have to understand that words are powerful. Words in general are powerful. Um, that, uh, you know, the world was created by the word of God. God just said, let there be light. And it was so, right? The entire creation was by the word of God. And Jews believe that every word in the Bible, every spoken word has a power of its own. And when you study Hebrew, you learn not just the word and what it means, like a dictionary trend definition, but you understand its roots and where its roots come from is gives you a lot of the indication of what it means. And words are powerful. Words are life. Words create. Words give life. So so the word of God is living and active, right? So that idea is huge. This is the word of God. And then the, the, the phrase uh, logos was actually used in the Targums, which were updates or, or translations into Aramaic of Hebrew scripture so that people, again, so that people could understand. And the word logos, logos, was used. Uh, also, they're also used to the idea of the personification of a word. In other words, that a word almost takes on a life of its own. Um, for example, the classic example is the word for wisdom. Um, wisdom in Proverbs is called a her. And when you when, and when Proverbs, there's several Proverbs that talk about wisdom, you'd think they're talking about a person. The classic one is uh, Proverbs 8, um, where it talks about, uh, I think it's 8, 1 through 9, 1. And he talks about wisdom being a her and she and that, and she does this and she does that. It talks about like the word has become a person. Okay, so even that concept is familiar. It's understood that that word, a word can take a life of its own. But in this case, the word is the word of God and therefore, and becomes Jesus himself. And of course, for Greeks, the idea of logos goes back to, uh, um, back to about the sixth century BC, where the idea was introduced of, of, of one encompassing concept that kind of puts the universe in order that the universe is not chaos. The the I think it was Heraclitus that said the time and life is like it's like a river. You can step into it once and step into it again a second time, and it has changed because it's always moving. It's always moving. It's always changing, and that's how the universe is. But what keeps the order? What keeps everything as it should be? 
is the logos or the the thought of God, the order of God, which is the opposite of chaos and and it keeps things as they should be. It is the power of God, the reasoning of God. So for to both cultures, this um, idea of a logos was very important and something that they could grab a hold of and understand. So that's that's a little bit background on the on the first paragraph um, of 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 chapter one. So we read, of course, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. Okay, or as it says in the Greek, in the beginning was the logos, and the logos was with God, and the logos was God. And I talked already about how how uh, you have to open your mind. You have to understand something far greater than what is in the physical realms to even grasp this. Because in the physical world, you cannot be with somebody and be that somebody. You can't be in two places at once. You can't be two different things at once. And 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 so obviously that we're talking about spiritual realms and, and spiritual things that far exceed the physical world, the known world. And there it's it's interesting to me that that there are so many arguments against the Bible and against Christianity and against God that are clearly because they're thinking finite. They're thinking physical realms, physical laws, uh, the laws of physics applying. And the funny thing is scientists today have already figured out, they've already discovered that there's there's a whole realm out there outside the laws of physics. Whether you're talking about, about the inner space and getting down to 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 quarks and smaller things than that, or you're talking about the universe and the ends of the universe, we know that there are boundaries to the laws of physics. And we now know that you can cross those boundaries and be outside. And that's basically what this is. This is something outside the laws of physics, something that is far greater. You know, that that place where there is no time, where there is there's no laws of physics, where one can be everywhere and be one place, be all things and be one thing, uh, that place we would call heaven, you know, is being discovered in laboratories even now. You know, that 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 space beyond our space. So it says, he was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Through him, nothing was made that has been made. Okay, that, that, that. I love this because the author, the, the, the spirit working through John makes it very clear that Jesus is more than an apostle, more than an apostle. Uh, a prophet, more than a great sage, more than a great rabbi. He is the creator. Everything was made through him. He is He is the channel through which God created all things. And, and it says, and in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. You know, that this, this Jesus is so much greater than just a prophet. And as I said before, this, this, this is the battle over Jesus. It was at the beginning of Christianity, the, the whole thing about, about believing in Jesus was accepting the fact that he is the son of God, that he is the, the, the ichthus, you know, of God. He's, he's God, the son, the savior, uh, the son of God. That was just basic Christianity, that you accept that, that you believe that. And if you believe that, then, of course, you're going to devote your life to him. If you believe he's all these things, of course you are. And of course people did. 
And the proof of it was the fact that he rose from the dead. I mean, he got rolling with the miracles. That was pretty big. But when he rose from the dead, when everybody saw him die and he comes back and he's walking around teaching again, that was it. People went from hiding and and going back to their villages and writing them off to all of a sudden putting all their faith in him and being willing to die for him. Why? Because they knew that everything that was said about him was true. Absolutely truth. And, and so this, I love it because in a sense, John comes out swinging in this argument, in this fight for establishing who is Jesus, you know, by saying that he's from the beginning, that everything was made through him and in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. And of course we talked about light and what it's for and how it, 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 it exposes the truth. It, Light often stands or represents or symbolic of truth and knowledge and wisdom and understanding and insight, and and that that's what Jesus brings. So you can see before you, so you can see and you can understand. So you know what's around, you know the obstacles, you know the path, you're aware of danger. It's in darkness where danger lies. It's in darkness, and we instinctively are afraid of the dark. We're instinctively on edge in the dark. Why? Because we know that in dark, we don't know what's happening. There is a lack of knowledge and a lack of understanding. And and we can't see the obstacles. And, and in darkness, of course, is where Satan does his work and where he thrives. And number five, verse five, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. In other words, that that nothing that darkness does can overcome the light. There isn't another switch I can turn on that just shuts off all the darkness. You can turn off the light, and then you have darkness because darkness is the absence of light. But you can't turn on a, a, another lamp that spreads darkness. And even dark matters. I noticed somebody made a comment about dark matter. We don't even know what dark matter is. And is it just something that gets in the way? Does it devour light? Now, you know, there's, there's the whole, I'm not going to go into that. That's, that's not my field, but, but there isn't an energy that sucks that will take away the light, excuse me, that is more powerful than the light. Light overcomes darkness. And I love this is, you know, you can translate it differently. And I think that's probably what the little letter there, footnote is there in some of your Bibles that can also be translated does not understand the light, which, you know, when you become a Christian, you find out very quickly how people don't understand why. And they don't understand the whole idea of being a Christian in the first place. Um, and then he switches, he switches over, uh, and, and all of a sudden we're talking about John. It says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now this is another John, John the Baptist. This is not John the Apostle. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. You know that John was the first witness, but he is, he was, he also was talked about in the Old Testament. He also was prophesied that he would come, to like like the Elijah, he would come proclaiming the way, uh, clearing the way of the Messiah so that people, it wouldn't be just a shot, people would, would already be prepared. And that's what John did. John came proclaiming the kingdom and, and preparing the way for Jesus. 
And so that when Jesus would come, they would all know it was him. John had a huge following. There were many disciples of John. John was a big figure already when Jesus showed up. And in fact, you know, there was probably feelings about, well, are you going to follow John? Are you going to follow Jesus? Thinking that they're the same thing. So John made it very clear that he is not the Messiah, that he only came to prepare the way. And we know that, you know, the apostle John that wrote this gospel was started out as a disciple of John. And in fact, some of his themes like light and darkness are very much out of John's school of ministry, you could say, his training. Um, the true light, the true light with, that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Okay, then we go back to Jesus, that the true light, the Jesus, the true light, that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Now, this is really important. You know, he comes, Jesus comes as the light of the world. He brings knowledge, understanding, insight. He helps us to understand God. He helps us to understand what our religion really is about. You know, religion, the whole religious world is a mess out there. And if you've ever studied religion, it's just a mess out there. There's so many different beliefs, so many different things. So, so, so Jesus comes to just make it very clear, to make it very understandable. What is it that God wants? Now, I, I, I'd say it's, it was nothing new. Everything was in, in, in the Old Testament already, but he highlights it and brings it back to this is what God is trying to teach us. This is what really counts. Jesus was quoting scripture all the time. It wasn't that Jesus started a new religion, like let's start a new religion and call it Christianity. It's the same religion. It's being God's people. It's the kingdom of God. It's being, it's walking with your creator. It's just that it gotten, it gotten so convoluted, so confusing and so many different ways of looking at things and all this stuff. So Jesus came to clean it up, clean it up, clarify it, make it so that everybody could understand. And that's what he did. And he came to that, which was his own. But this is the crazy thing is that, that, that the world didn't recognize him. And I, you know, I always, I always tell stories like if you built this beautiful house and you spent years building it and you paint it, you decorate it, you put everything in there to make it a fantastic place to raise your family. And then on opening day of your house, you go to open the front door and there's already a family living in it and they won't let you in because they don't know who you are. And you're like, wait a second, I built this house, but they don't know you and they're not letting you in. And that's in a sense kind of what it was like for Jesus to come here to his creation, to his children, and they don't recognize him. And and there's a whole sermon on why they didn't recognize him when they should have recognized him. When they had been, there were plenty of prophecies, there were plenty of reasons to have recognized him, but they did not. They were looking for the wrong things. They were expecting the wrong things. They were wanting the wrong things. They wanted some king to ride in with swords and armies and kick out those stinking Romans. And they wanted another Maccabees. They wanted, and they totally did not recognize Jesus when they should have. 
the truth of his words, his love, his compassion, that should have rung all the alarms. This is this person is from God. So he came to that which is his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, okay, not everybody rejected Jesus, right? Not everybody. He did have people follow him. He did have people pledge their lives to him. He did have people give everything for him. He said, to those who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus, the Lord saves, he gave the right to become children of God. And this is huge. We are not naturally children of God. And we, we tend to think we are. We tend to think, especially those of us in the Western world, where, where our families go back generations going to churches. We think, well, of course I'm Christian. My parents were Christian. My grandparents were Christian. I come from a long line of Christians. Everybody, every generation, every individual has got to make their own choices. You don't get to to be grandfathered into Christianity. Uh, it doesn't work that way. In fact, he says he gave them, he those who, res, to, who, who receive him, who acknowledge him, he gives them the right. The only thing you get, you do get, is you get the privilege to become a child of God if you want to pursue that. But that's something you have to pursue, that you you become part of fam, of his family. And he says, children not, born not of natural descent, okay, you weren't born into this, nor of a husband's decision. Nobody else in your family can decide that. Nobody can say, well, you're a Christian. Nobody can decide for you. You have to make your own decision. And then we're talking about a time in history where basically whatever the husband, whatever dad decided, the whole family had to do. That's why even in the Bible, you'll see a father get baptized and his household. That means his kids, his wife, even the servants, okay? But what what John's trying to clarify is even all of them really need to make their own decisions. Everybody has to make their own decision, not the decision of a husband or a dad or anybody else, but born of God. This is between you and God. You and God. And that's that's huge. That is that is huge. So it says the word, and we go back to the logos again, just in case there's any doubt, is the logos really Jesus? Well, verse 14 clarifies it. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. You know, the word became flesh. In other words, this, this concept, this power, this, this power became a human being. This, this power of God, this word of God became a human and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son. Now, remember I had said one of the, one of the key words in John was the, the monogenetos, right? The, the one begotten of God. Like in the, in the general sense, we're all God's children, but in a very specific sense, this is the one that was born of God. The monogenetos who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. You know, in most religious groups, there's always a leaning. There's a leaning towards truth and righteousness. Get it right. Do it right. Make sure it's right. Or the opposite is a leaning towards grace and love. You know, it's all about love. It's all about everybody accepting everybody, loving everybody. Most of us lean one way or the other. 
Most religious groups lean one way or the other. It's our nature. In most families, one parent is all about grace and, you know, just talk to the kids. The other parent is more about discipline and, you know, doing things right. And, and you know, there's one that's leans more towards spanking one or punishing. And the other one leans more towards forgiving and hugging and motivating. You know, that's just our nature. And it comes out in religion all the time. You see religious groups and there'll be the liberals, they'll call them, and the conservatives, they'll call them, those that lean towards truth and righteousness and those that lean towards grace, forgiveness, and mercy. Well, what did G- which one was Jesus? Jesus was full of both, grace and truth. He is the one that is full of love, forgiving, loves everybody, but also laid down the truth made exposed what was evil, what was wrong, and called us to righteousness. He's both of them. He's not either or. You remember God told Joshua, turn neither to the left nor to the right. In fact, that statement, not to the left, not to the right, shows up in multiple places where God was trying to teach us, stay in the middle path, stay in the truth, stay in what's right. So, hey, we at least we got to the first part of chapter one. Uh, John chapter one So please uh, stay connected. Uh, Visit us on the regional website for more information. And the last thing I want to just encourage you, please subscribe. Um, Only less than half of my uh, listeners, less than half the people that are listening to our podcast are subscribed. And it's a big deal for us to get to a thousand. We get all kinds of goodies if if we get to a thousand. uh, Turn well notes, all that stuff I don't, but but I know it's a good thing. So if we could get everybody to subscribe, it'd be great. Or like us, share about us. Um, we just want to keep encouraging you. Please stay safe, stay spiritual, and uh, we'll see you soon. God bless you.